It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Barca Talk. I am Brian Henderson coming at you from Buffalo, New York. And joining me, as always, is your co-host from Madrid, Spain, Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother and fellow Kules, welcome to episode 55. We have a lot to talk about, Brian. What are we, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, man, today... Well, first of all, how are you doing? What's going on? Uh, I'm doing good. You know, it's freezing here. I mean, it's not Buffalo freezing, but it's it's very cold. This past week came out of nowhere, so that's been kind of a shock. But other than that, just getting ready for Christmas. Everyone here in Madrid's got the Christmas spirit. Our my streets decorated all in Christmas lights, thanks to the city of Madrid. And yeah, like yesterday, we were going to record, and I got stuck at a shopping center and got stuck in traffic waiting for a bus it was a nightmare i mean all i needed was a gun to my head and i was just like i just wanted to get home you know just to watch the game and record you know so again thank thank god for the fc barcelona app i was able to listen to the match and all was good how about you what's new in buffalo uh well buffalo is actually having a surprising bit of good weather i mean for buffalo like it's cold but it's not as cold as it could be and the sun was even shining yesterday which is uncommon so it's uh, like i haven't quite fallen victim to seasonal affective disorder yet Uh, but i imagine that once i once i come back from california after christmas it's just going to be so dismal for probably three months here. So I'm just trying to enjoy the sunlight and the not terribly cold weather while I can. It has not really snowed yet. I saw that it did snow in Spain, which I was surprised by. Yeah, surprisingly, it does snow. It usually doesn't stick. You know, it's not as heavy snow like you would be in Buffalo. But for example, I was looking at some of the news and I saw in Pamplona that the match was played in the snow. And so, yeah, it does get cold enough, but sometimes, I mean, usually it doesn't get this cold until January. That's why it's been kind of uh, a little bit of a shock. I mean, it's been clear, sunny, but super cold. I mean, you definitely had to break out the gloves, the scarves, you know, the winter hats and everything like that. Because, you know, unlike the States, we walk around in the streets a lot. So it, you feel the cold even more than if you were in a car. So, but hey, it's that time of year. I'm ready for Christmas. Like I told you earlier when we were talking, uh, I have a long Puente uh, vacation coming up. I just work one day next week, so super excited for that. Lucky. But also, I'm looking at a, I'm coming up on a break myself. This next week is the last week of the semester here at uh, the University at Buffalo, and I just need to do catch up on a whole lot of stuff. I'm going to be having some very long days, but only for the one week. And then I'll be sort of free and clear until school starts back up in January. I've noticed 
that I am uh, paying very little attention to what's going on with the school schedule. I honestly don't even know when the school semester is going to start again in January. That's how that's how like over it I am at this point. <laughs> Cuz you know when you're in your third year of PhD, you just, I just I'm just over it. I'm just trying to get through it. Um sometimes and then other times, you know, you buckle down and do the work. But in any case, I'm happy that we're finally reunited via the via the internet to uh, do the show today because uh, you know we had our hiccup yesterday where you couldn't get the bus back into town so on today's show everybody so much good stuff uh you might not even be able to handle it um our top story is samuel umtiti's injury and how that will affect the team during his recovery hence the title of our episode this week au revoir umtiti eight weeks only for eight weeks um but that's going to be a rough eight weeks, so we're going to talk about that. Also, we have some awesome listeners who give us great comments and questions, and a lot of them this week are kind of like scouting comments on players who might be good for Barca. And we have a very special call-in question from Gabriel's father, Gus. Uh, we have a little bit of news about Usmane Dembele's recovery and impending return. And we are counting down to El Clasico on December 23rd by revisiting some of our favorite past Clasicos. And this week we have a very good one for you. Gabriel's going to lead the discussion on that one. And it's a special feature that we're doing in the lead up to the Clasico. We're very excited about it. So that's going to be a little later on. And finally, as always, we will check in with Barca B and FCB Femini, recap the first team matches with Murcia and Celta and look to the week ahead in the Champions League against Sporting and La Liga against Villarreal. So then, vamos. <laughs> you like that? That was very good. Yeah. Our top story today. <laughs> <laughs> Our top story today, uh normally we don't necessarily announce a top story, but I feel like it was warranted this week. Um the big news really is that uh, Monsieur Umtiti went out of the Celta match on Saturday with an injury. And uh, early reports are saying he's going to be out for eight weeks. So the question is, how will that affect the team for the next eight weeks? Because that's also going to include the Classico. So what are your initial thoughts, Gabriel, on how this is going to affect things? I mean, this is huge news, right? Because he's been the the backbone of our defense this whole season so far. He's been playing out of this world, you know, playing top three center back in the world. Um, And this is huge, you know, eight weeks. I mean, I've pulled my hamstring and that hurt. And I couldn't even imagine coming back after maybe three weeks, two weeks like that. But he actually tore part of the the hamstring. And so that's just crazy. And so it's going to hurt us because especially with Mascherano coming back from injury, we're really thin in the back. We only have PK right now and Vermeulen. And you know, Vermeulen is Mr. Glass, right? So you never know what we can get from him. So obviously that's going to also change up the tactics and formation. We're going to probably go more to a 4-4-2 alignment just to protect the defense even more, which will limit the availability of maybe Paco playing and also maybe your your boyfriend, Sergi, uh, playing as well. So as we saw the lineup against uh, Celta, they were in a 4-4-2. Well, we're going to talk about that more, but this MTT injury is huge. And like we said, you know, um, he's been out there playing the best football of his career and also just anchoring that defense, especially when PK wasn't there uh, against, you know, the last uh, Champions League, or not the Champions League, but against the last match. Um, who was it against? Oh, against Valencia. And so it's huge. It's huge news. 
Yeah, it's a it's a really big blow. And I was just reading an article talking about the uh, the possible sort of options that we have. So of course there's Vermeulen, and um, there's also the question of uh, getting. David Costas in from the B team, at least on the bench, in case, you know, Mr. Glass happens to fall off a shelf and <laughs> bust something. We're going to have to have something, especially as Mascherano is still not quite fit, but he's nearing. Uh, he's probably going to be back fairly soon um, in action. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, none of them can really do what Umtiti does. Yeah, and that's a really good call. They're probably going to bring up Costas from the Barca B team. And also with the December transfer coming, I bet you that they try to acquire a center back that's versatile so they can have more flexibility. Because as you can see, you know, with these injuries that we've had with the yellow card um, suspension of PK, we're really thin in the back. And especially with this type of injury that this is a pretty ma- I mean, eight weeks. I mean, luckily... With December coming up, we have a little bit of a break, so it's not so many games in consecutive. But, you know, if this this injury happened in February or March, this could have been really big because there's so many games in those eight weeks. But hopefully he'll recover quickly um, and be back in full uh, sooner than later. Yeah, and as far as um, January transfer window stuff is concerned, uh, there have been rumors for a while about uh, Gary Mina, and Inigo Martinez, so like maybe we'll see a little bit more action in the January transfer window for one or both of those players to try and shore up the the, the central defense. Although I had a I had a kind of crazy apocryphal thought <laughs> just before we were about to record. I was thinking, you know, like I wouldn't be, I would not be shocked. This would be a horrible idea, but I would totally not be shocked if they just put Sergio Roberto in center back. <laughs> Like he's our utility player. He could play anywhere. Just put him wherever. He'll make it work. Like I don't I mean I think that would not work at all. But at the same time, it would not surprise me. You know, if it were Luis Enrique, I'll bet he would. I don't think yeah, Valverde I is going to do it. No, I don't think he's going to do that, but I could see some tinkering in the back and yeah. I mean, we're in desperate need of a center back and that'll bit just push who is who's the player from Real Sociedad Iñaki what was his name Iñaki Inigo Martinez Inigo Martinez you, you killed, killed my father, father. yeah um <laughs> yeah i think they'll probably i mean i for me that would be a great signing but now that we're in desperate need that price is going to go up again really great job on the Barca board on foreseeing injuries and stuff like this of course we need a center back we get injured window some team's going to charge the shit out of us you know so yeah well you know we have the money Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to um, Monsieur Umtiti, uh, you know, have a good recovery. Get back. Please get back as soon as you can. Yeah, we, we're going to miss you a lot. Yes, very much so. So our listeners this week uh, gave us some really good stuff to talk about. Uh, and again, a, a couple of them, most of them were kind of scouting related. So I want to start off with this one from Roshan, who got in touch with us on Facebook. He's from Manipal, India. That's where he's at right now, I guess. And his question or comment is that while I was reading through the Ozil rumors, I had a thought about why aren't we trying for Gundogan? I know I'm not saying that right. I don't know how to say it. But uh, Roshan goes on to say he's the kind of player we need. He has the quality to hold possession, rotate the ball, and show some creativity. Manchester City is not giving him any chances. He hasn't started a single game this season. Cheers. I knew nothing about Gundogan uh, before this comment from Roshan, and uh, so I you know, did a little bit of research. And according to TransferMarket.com, 
Gundogan is worth about 30 million euro. He's 27 years old, primarily a central midfielder. He hasn't played uh, many minutes this season for Man City. He's got a total of about 514. Um, But he does also have two assists in the Champions League against Napoli and Feyenoord. Uh, So there's not much opportunity to see him in action. Like, he doesn't even have any of those, you know, YouTube highlight reels that make him look amazing that I could find. So I don't know a whole lot about him. And I wanted to ask my friend Connor, who's a Man City guy, about this player. And uh, I couldn't... Well, he he has walking pneumonia, so I didn't want to bother Connor this week. But maybe I can maybe I can in the future get some get some feedback from him on on Gundogan. Do you know anything about Gundogan? I know nothing. This is the first time I've heard of. I mean, I'm pretty you know well versed in the world football players, you know. But like, I've never really heard of this guy. He's you know I'm just kind of reading over his stats and like you did the workup on it, and yeah, it looks like he you know he's an attacking type of midfielder, um, Turkish descent. He's German. Uh, like I, like you said, there's no really highlight reels to like showcase that no one did a mixtape, so not, someone needs to do a mixtape for him because we we barely, we don't know anything about this guy. And obviously, if he's not playing much, that he's probably not adapting to Pep's style or system, so must have something like that going on. So we will. Um, I mean, I think it's a really good uh, player to follow because if he's a central midfielder, you know, 27, that's right in the prime age. We could get him for cheap, and if he fits into a Barca-type system, I mean, why not? But the only my only concern is the lack of uh, video and highlights of him because he went from Borussia Dortmund to, to Man City. So it's kind of like there's not that much out there on him. Yeah, and also I feel like I'm wondering, is the midfield really where we need to be adding to the squad? I mean, I think on one hand, it's kind of cool that Roshan would call out this player because sometimes it can be really good to sort of, you know, get kind of a dark horse player in who turns it turns out could be really good for the team. So you get him for a little less money and then they start to shine. Like we've seen that a number of times in Barcelona where you just some player kind of out of nowhere comes in and has a great performance. I mean, like uh, Stoichkov is like the classic example of that like he's playing in bulgaria who knew that he could be so you know powerful for barcelona and you know he turned out to be a great signing so i think like the fact that roshan is sort of looking on the uh the periphery he's not looking at the big name you know coutinho kind of thing um but at the same time i just in general don't think that the midfield is really where we need to be shoring up. If anything, we need to be looking more on attack and defense, obviously. So when we were talking about Umtiti's injury, possible options for you know players to sign in the transfer window, that's where we'd want to look to, you know, get more action going in the, you know, get more depth in the defense. Um, but in the offense, I think also is where we need in the attack is where we need more, more signings personally. Um, but we do appreciate that that comment, Roshan. Thanks for listening and thanks for reaching out. Now, on the topic of attack, we got another one this week from Carlos. This is also on Facebook. Uh, Carlos has reached out to us before, so thanks for staying involved, Carlos. Uh, he says, hey, guys, y'all are going to hate me for this, but after that Valencia game, I'm convinced that Deuces does not belong in Barca. He retains the ball too long. He loses possession a lot. He does the same trick all the time. Defenders seem to have this down. He doesn't pass the ball much. I'm guilty of maybe being harsh on him, but I think more was expected from him. Thank you guys for the podcast. Y'all should make some shirts or something. Peace. So as far as the shirts go, I looked into it and, you know, maybe 
in the future we'll we'll do something uh, on that but uh anyway back to your question about deuces uh I get what Carlos is saying, and I see the same things that he does. Uh, I do think that he passes the ball. Um, that's often all he can do. But uh, I'm reminded of when Sergi first started playing more on the first team, and he didn't look too good. You know, he was kind of a late bloomer. But if you look at him now, he's he's essential. And I think Sergi was about the same age as as Deuces is now when he first started getting more. Uh, time with the first team now deuces did well at ac milan and he seems to be in val green's starting 11 more for his i think defensive work rate than his attacking uh, brilliance so for me the question is is he just not quite suited to barca and might be better off in Serie A, or does he just need more time to adapt and improve in the barcelona mold as an attacking winger I don't know. I'm I'm starting to agree more with Carlos. Um, I'm starting to lose a little faith in Deuces. You know, I've always had this. You know, I've watched him from afar when he was in Everton and then when he was in Syria. But you know, he's already had these opportunities at these other clubs to really shine and play, and he hasn't. You know, he hasn't been the star, or not even the star, but like a really quality starter. You know, like putting goals and assists consistently. And your comparison with Sergio Roberto, you know, he hasn't gone to other teams. He's only been in Barcelona, so obviously his development was a little bit different. But I think that, you know, like Carlos said, with Deuces attacking his the same move that he does that everyone knows what he does. It's just like you have to make now the counter to the counter to the counter, you know, and he hasn't done that. And I agree. I think he's in there for his defensive work rate. But at this point now, like you can see when he plays against a team like Real Murcia, like he definitely stands out, right? Because he does these moves, and he 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 looked really strong and really good against Real Murcia. But against the better competition, it's he gets taken to the woodshed, you know. And he's he, I don't know. There's something missing. I don't know what it is in his game. And I can see also, he, it's not that he doesn't pass, but he doesn't pass fast enough to like Messi, or he doesn't do the tiki, right? Where you you need to pass quicker and give it back, and pass. he holds on. Then he finally makes a pass because it just takes too long. He's out of options. I don't know. We still we need him because of the Dembele injury. So I think, obviously, Deuce is going to get some more time. But, I mean, he needs to – you know, I've heard different things that he doesn't work so much in practice. He kind of relies on his talent a lot. And I think he really needs to just kind of focus, study the tape, see what's going on, and really just pick that up in the next level of his game. You know, try to scout, advance his – moves and just become more solid in attacking because we need his goals and his assists you know that really would make our attacking prowess even better yeah yeah I agree with everything you said it's it's a little kind of a bummer right because you know we're both pulling for him like he's he's a Masia kid he's academy we want him to shine we want him to you know work himself into the first team to be like indispensable and vital and uh, right now he's not doing it. And honestly, my my take on the Murcia match is that he he wasn't that strong. You know, he the defenders caught him out a lot. And I'll get more into that when we're reviewing that match. But I I would hope that against Murcia he would just like really stick out as being a you know above everyone else in class. And a lot of the times he was actually just level with them on class. So. I mean, overall, that that match was kind of a weird match. So, and again, we'll get into more of that later. But yeah, I, I am starting to agree with Carlos here. But you know, we'll see if 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 Deuces picks up his 
his work in practice and training and really make some improvements, then, you know, I'm still all for him in, in spirit, but I just don't know if he's really delivering. Do you think that he's like, he thinks he's too good to play against Morcia? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's been playing with the senior team now this season. He's been getting Champions League. He's playing in major matches. And then all of a sudden he's against Morcia. It's kind of like, oh, I'm above this. I'm already, like, on the senior team. I'm already playing a lot of minutes. Because that's kind of like, you know, the attitude that comes across a little bit. Like, that he thinks he's already made it. And so he doesn't need to keep working. And I don't know. I you know, like you said, we're both pointing him because he's a La Masia grad. You know, he's coming through the ranks. He has the Barca blood. And he's been in Barca system forever. But, I mean, you, you still got to work. You know, your your talent only takes you so much. And you'll get found out, you know. And you, if Valverde, for some reason, stops playing him, then it just can go backwards like it did for him in Everton. Yeah, all really good points. Uh, and thank you again, Carlos, for that one. That was a good one. Now, our next one actually came from Nikki from Denmark. And he just got in touch with us on uh, via email through barsatalk.net. And he says, hey, guys, first of all, I would like to say thanks for an awesome program. You're welcome. I am one of many guys following you from Denmark, and I have a question. What do you think about Alexis Sanchez? Uh, he isn't mentioned when it comes to players we want to buy. He was brilliant when he played for us, and he has been, for me, the hardest player to see leave Barcelona since Rivaldo and, of course, Laudrup. Uh, because of fellow Dane. Uh, He said that he learned to play football from his time in Barca. Uh, We already know that he fits right in, uh, better than the likes of Di Maria. He's cheap since his contract is ending next year. He's 28 years old, so no early expecting date on him. And uh, he can plot and he can play all three positions in front. Again, thanks for an awesome program. P.S. Hope to see you on Danish Spotify soon. So apparently we're not in on Spotify in Denmark. Thanks for the report on that, Nikki. So uh, I appreciate that. And I was actually very happy to see this this email from Nikki. Um, so my initial workup on this, uh, Sanchez left Barcelona in 2014 when Luis Enrique came in and Neymar had already been at the club for a year. And Enrique, you know, he relied entirely on MSN, right? Even Pedro got very little playing time. And he's also a really good, you know, winger, forward player so you can see why they let him go after uh, you know a year shy of his initial five-year contract but I think that Alexis would fit right back in you know whenever a player leaves Barca I think I assume that he just won't come back but of course that's happened before where players have left and then come back Um, I do think that our attack right now is very reliant on Messi uh, which is fine because he's Leo fucking Messi but if we really want to add like a third heat in the attack, I think Alexis would be a, a great option. Yeah, I think it's a great option. I just don't know how much it's going to cost, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And also if both sides want each other, right? Like, I don't know if Sanchez wants to stay in the Premier League or if he wants to come back to La Liga. You know, these are all types of things. But I think, hey, I take him back. I mean, he was great for us. I think now he's more mature. I think at that time in Barca, he wasn't as mature. I think he's understood his role now that he can, you know, play with Messi again. I think that would really help his career. And I think he knows what he's been missing uh, being in Arsenal and not being in Barcelona, you know, just like with the language barrier, um, you know, living in London, um, being in the Premier League, being under the microscope even more than in Barcelona. Whereas in Barcelona, he would be kind of, like you said, third fiddle. You know what I'm saying? So he wouldn't be under the microscope so much. And I think it would be great. You know, he, he fits our style. He's strong. He's fast. 
he's more of a direct player. He's almost like, you know, obviously a better version of Paco Alcacer, you know, that type of style of playing. And obviously we've had great success with Sanchez. He scored in the Classico. He had a great, you know, run with us. And, you know, I, I'd take him back open arms, you know, but I just don't know about the financial I don't know how interested, you know, Barcelona is never really that type of team that kind of gets their players back. You know, I don't know if that's something in their policy. It's kind of like once they leave. I mean, I'm not saying it's not possible, but, you know, I'd definitely be open to it. I think it's a really great comment by Nicky. I mean, sometimes we just forget uh, these players like Sanchez that go out and it's like, why not? Why can't they come back? And I think he would be a perfect fit as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, so I just checked in on this. Um, Transfer Market is currently valuing him at 65 million euro, which is, you know, a little bit on the steep side. Um, and he, But he is worth a lot more now than when he left Barcelona, which I think is a, probably a good sign. And again, he still has at least a few more years of good play in him, you know, barring any injuries, obviously. I mean, I I think he might be worth it. Uh, he he could be probably I think a a better option than anything we have right now. And again, like he's he's tested. He knows we know that he can play at Barcelona. And after his the time he's been spending at Arsenal, I think he would probably be even better than when he was at Barcelona. I mean, it would be a great fit because think about the attacking um, rotation we would have. We'd have Dembele, Luis Suarez, Sanchez, Messi, and Paco Alcázar. That's pretty that's pretty formidable, you know, to have depth rotation different tactics different styles i think that would be awesome so you know who knows obviously the 65 that kind of scares me a little bit but why not right we can i'd take them back yeah me too um really good call on that nikki actually i really uh, appreciate it Uh, because again we have that kind of blindness where once a player has left we just say like all right that's done that's over with no more alexi sanchez but i think you make a great point Uh, i would love to have him back personally now, uh, so that's pretty much it for our scouting emails <laughs> in more, I guess, slightly more fun emails. Uh, <laughs> we got one from Victor. Now, OK, a little context. Victor was um, our listener who initially was uh, very anti on the Val Green nickname. Um, we convinced him to warm up to the idea. And now he got in touch with us this week on Facebook and said, in the spirit of nicknames, I'm jumping on board the train. Uh, Val Green said about this player, he played a very serious game. He had a difficult role to play and he did it well. He was very attentive. And uh, Victor goes on to say, now I'm not saying I have a preference for him, only that we need him and need him to do well. So with that, I am pushing the reset button on all the negative talk about a man called Vermeilen. He will now be called Tommy V. And I'm all for Tommy V um, as a nickname. <laughs> I'm not necessarily all for Tommy V as as a center back for Barcelona, but you know he's also not my favorite. Um, but Victor makes a good point that you know with the squad as it is, and of course we talked about this with Umtiti's injury, uh, and Victor said this actually before Saturday when Umtiti went out. We do need him, uh, given the squad as it is, right? And uh, and he actually did uh, he did fairly well. I think he handled himself well in the Valencia and Murcia matches. But the main topic here is Tommy V, yay or nay. I think it makes him sound like a 50s pop idol, and I like that. I like it. I mean, I just like that Victor came on board the train with us, you know, because yeah. this, is, this is how we do in bars of talk, you know. So we're all about nicknames and just, you know, making it a fun, light talk about our team. So I'm going to give Victor the carte blanche right now to with the Tommy V nickname. So Tommy V is officially 
uh, Vermeulen's nickname. Yeah, you know, we need him now, right? So we always make, like we made fun of him earlier about calling him Mr. Glass and everything. No one's ever doubted that he could not play at a high level, right? It's just his longevity, his ability to stay on the field has always been in question. And so obviously we need him. Hopefully he's gained a little bit more confidence um, playing more regularly now. And knowing that we need him, that he may be able to withstand these next weeks, hopefully injury-free and just keep playing the way he's been playing. Because obviously, you know, it's kind of like the same thing with Paulinho. It's like, we're not expecting anything from him. So anything above that is like, wow, we're like shocked, you know? And so uh, I think Vermeulen is definitely the same kind of case. It's like, we're expecting like zero, you know, like for him to either get injured on the first play or give up like all these goals. And he hasn't done that. Right. So then it's like, okay, uh, he's pretty serviceable. So, you know, no one's ever really questioned that he could not play at this type, type of level. It's just always been his injuries and staying on the field healthy. So Tommy V it is. Yeah, so we'll have to update the Facebook wiki uh, glossary of our nicknames uh, to include Tommy V for Thomas Vermeulen. So thanks for that one, Victor. That I really enjoyed that one. Now, we have a very special question from a very special listener. Uh, this is from Gabriel's father, Gus, from San Jose. Let me just give you my, my, my react on this. <laughs> okay, so first off, um, you know, when we get these voicemails, uh, they they appear in my email inbox with as a transcription, right? So there's the Google transcription uh, software. So this is what I see in my email, first of all. Brian, Brian, this is Beth, your Barca father from a different mother. How to kill questions for you guys. What's the actual condition of the cleaner if he's coming back before the end of the season? I lost track of here some time ago, and I don't know. What's the status with him, okay? Keep up the good job. Bye-bye. <laughs> so, of course, I am I know it's from Gus. I know that Google transcription is not great, and I know that Gus has an accent because he's from Coach Obama. Uh, so, like, okay. What was really weird about it is that I have a cousin named Beth. And so I was a little thrown off. I'm like, why would Beth be calling that phone number? It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so I go back and I listen to it. Okay, so but just just here it is. Brian, Brian, this is Gus, your Barca father from a different mother. <laughs> I, have a, I have a short question for you guys. What's the actual condition of Rafinha? Is he coming back uh, before the end of this season? I lost track of him some time ago, and I don't know what's the status with him. Okay, uh, keep up the good job. Bye-bye. He's my Barca father from a different mother. <laughs> Brian, I didn't know you had a brother and a father from different mothers. This is crazy. <laughs> I was just thinking, I have to meet your father now. <laughs> like, now that he's my Barca father from a different mother, I have to meet him. So in all honesty, I've been workshopping my dad for that call. So I wanted to come up with that because I know how much you like when I say the Brian, Brian, Barca brother from a different mother. So I came up with that and my dad came through with it finally. This was like two weeks in the in the works. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I, I think I enjoyed the Google transcription even more because when I saw when you forwarded it to me, I was crying because I just like, who is Beth? You know, <laughs> I was just like, who's this Beth person, you know? Yeah. But uh but yeah, so so I'm glad you enjoyed it and I want to thank Gus for calling in on the show. He's 
uh, obviously supporting the show and calling in because we want more people to call because we like having the voicemails as well. But to address Gus's call about Rafinha, obviously he's going to help uh, with the team, with the midfield, obviously, just having more midfielders, attacking midfielders, and obviously midfielders that can hold the ball a little bit because that's what we're kind of lacking right now, especially like in the Celta match. We have midfielders who are talented, but they kind of lack that uh, FC Barcelona tiki-taka, hold the ball, give it back, keep possession type of style. And that's kind of what got us into trouble yesterday's game. But by all accounts on his Twitter, he's, I mean, man, these Brazilians, they love social media. They they love it so much. They're just on Twitter, Instagram. They always are playing music. They're showing their rehab. I mean, it's actually really cool because we get to see it, but they, they're really active on it. And it looks like he's coming closer and better. And, you know, obviously hope it, it doesn't hurt having him on the team. It's just another great option to have off the bench, especially against these Copa del Rey matches, and for for him to come in off the bench to give a little bit of a offensive spark. Yeah. So like ever since his uh, his second surgery, uh, the club has not. They've been really coy about when he might be back in action. Um, however, the whispers are that he could be back in the second half of the season. And as you said, you know, if you follow Rafinha's Twitter. You'll you'll be very up to date on all the training he's been doing. And as far as like his personal training, you know, he's on the ball. He's he's working hard. He looks good. So, you know, I, I I mean, you're the kinesiologist here. Like maybe you could give us some insight based on those videos as to how he looks and whether he's getting close to match fit or not. But. You know, it seems like he's probably just about there. I mean, once he starts playing in the sandbox, you know, they have that sandbox over there at the at the at the facility. I think when he starts doing that full time, I think that's when you can start start looking and he's on the horizon of coming back soon because, you know, playing in the sand like that, not only is it really great for, you know, the player to get more comfortable with the different uneven surface, but also you can see that he's starting to get more confidence on that knee. And going forward, hopefully he'll be fully recovered. And then once he's back with the full team, then then you'll see that he'll be able to be available to play with the with the senior team. All right. Yes, we are looking forward to that. And and Gus, thank you. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. And and it it made my heart feel warm to know that I have a Barca father from a different mother. (laughs) Thank you so much, Gus, for that call. We really appreciate it. Now, actually, in other uh, recovery news, um, there is uh, some action on the Dembele recovering um, front. Uh, he's still training apart from the team, um, though during the same training session. So he's like on one side of the pitch and the other guys are over there on the other side of the pitch. So um, everything is looking good with Usmane, and I would guess he'll start getting back into the squad in the new year um, as Rafinha hopefully also will um and we of course we know that that uh, Dembélé is in Valgreen's plans but it's not it's not clear for instance how Rafinha might figure into that since he hasn't actually played in front of Valgreen but as far as Dembélé is concerned it looks like he's making good progress and he he's right on track to get back in action uh when projections said he would exactly and that's great news because that's just going to give a huge boost to the uh attacking you know it's like it's almost like we're getting this new player because he barely played, what, one or two matches for us, if that. And obviously just training with the team, watching the team, 
you know, he can see more where he's going to fit in. Obviously, being inside the the meeting rooms, you know, he's getting more of a a vibe of how Val Green is coaching. You know, what to expect, what's his what's his role going to be. So hopefully, when he comes back from injury, not only is he going to be healthy, but also he'll kind of have a better clue and idea of what is expected uh, of him during the game. So I'm really excited to see him play. I know it. You know, once he comes back, obviously they'll probably change back to a more consistent four-three-three, which I think will suit them really well. And hopefully, you know, Dembele will come back sooner. But again, we don't want him to be rushed either. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just uh, not a whole lot uh, going on there, but we just wanted to check in, and uh, looks like everything is going according to plan, and we're really looking forward to having him back. Now, the final uh, bit of recovery news is that Sergio Roberto is officially back uh good old blue eyes he returned to the squad for the copa del rey match with murcia he came in as a sub played about 30 minutes and um not only like for me not only was it great to see him back on the pitch but also to see him wearing the captain's armband and you just really feel like there's i feel like i'm looking into the future while i'm also seeing the present uh it was great to have sergi back and i think he also did um a pretty good job of or even a very good job in uh, the Celta match. Did your heart flutter when he came on the field? Oh. Like, did it like skip a beat? Oh yes, it skipped. <laughs> skipped one beat and then two beats, and then I had a heart attack, and it was great. Yeah, I'm super excited to have your boy back because he gives us so much flexibility for tactics and for different matches. But not only that, but like, you know, when I was watching the highlights of the Celta game and so forth, it's like we we're lacking that type of possession. And I think Sergio Roberto gives us that. And I want him to start to play more, um, not as defensive back. I want him more in the midfield. I think he gives us so much. I don't know. He has such a good chemistry with the attacking front. He's played in big matches for us, you know, especially the PSG game and obviously in the Classico last year. I mean, how can you forget that that run he does from coast to coast, peanut butter and toast, you know, he's just all the way down. <laughs> like the guy is, the guy is, you know, he's becoming, I mean, he's the future, you know, and also just seeing him taking the captain's band was really great. And I know you probably like had to shed a tear when that happened because that was just like a special moment for you. Absolutely. It absolutely was. So very happy that uh, Blue Eyes is back and, uh, and looking good. I mean, like in that, uh, he played all 90 minutes in that Celta match and you wouldn't even guess that he had was coming back from injury. But we will get more into that uh, when we talk about the Celta match, actually. So our next segment, uh, this is our special countdown to El Clasico segment. So with El Clasico getting closer every week um, this year to be played on December 23rd, we're counting down to it by remembering some of our favorite past Clasicos. Last week, we looked back at La Manita, the 5 nothing league win in the Camp Nou from November 2010. That was my pick. Uh, actually, the anniversary just happened this past week, which was lucky timing on our part. We didn't exactly plan it that way. Uh, but that was a significant match for me in my autobiography as a Barca fan. But this week, Gabriel picked the match that has its own significance for him. So why don't you take it away and lead us on this one? Definitely. And this is I love talking about the Classico because for me, you know, before I moved to Spain, like this was always such an important match to watch. And I always tried to watch the Classicos because it was so important. But this Classico, this 2011 Champions League semifinal, I mean, this is Champions League semifinal. So you couldn't get any bigger than that. But at the time also, uh, like you last when we were talking about the Classico last episode, 2010, when Spain won the World Cup, I was all in on MC Barcelona. I was really watching a lot of the games. 
especially with the Pep and Mourinho rivalry that was going on, um, I was all in on Spanish football and even more with FC Barcelona. So when we talked about the La Manita, I was super happy. And at that moment, too, um, I was basically, Brian, I was on the 10-year plan of finishing my undergrad. I had been in and out of school. But finally, in 2010, 2011, I was finishing up my undergraduate degree in kinesiology. And as kind of like a graduation gift and my parents' anniversary, we were going to go to Europe. That was the gift. And so I was lucky enough to have my parents take me to Europe. And that was back in November. But the, obviously the contention was I had to graduate, right, in the following spring. I mean, that was obviously the contention, right? So, right. so leading up to this, you know, we're planning the trip, you know, planning the trip, where we're going to go, picking the cities, all these stuff. We were going to go for two weeks, and I was actually going to go longer because since I had more time between uh, finishing my undergraduate and starting my, my job – Start so picking the cities. Obviously, we all wanted to go to Madrid and Barcelona, but how we were going to do that, we didn't know. Obviously, like I was with this Champions League run, I was planning the Barcelona part to tie perfectly with the Champions League final. And I knew that year the final was going to be in London, but I wanted to be in Barcelona if Barcelona was going to be in the Champions League final. So leading up to this, we had made the itinerary that we were going to be in Barcelona for that weekend when the when the Champions League final. So obviously I was super invested in the Champions League run because I was just that's all I wanted was Barcelona to get to the Champions League final. That's all I was going. So obviously I get to the semifinal, huge match against Real Madrid. And obviously California time, well actually I was living in Phoenix at the time, so it was about twelve forty five kickoff. And at that time too I was also working for my parents part time because I was a full time student. I was working for my parents part time. So I was able to go and time these matches so that I would, quote-unquote, work for my parents and also watch the game, you know, in a nice TV and, you know, be at my parents' house. So at this moment, I finished my work. I was watching the game. I was all in. And obviously the game was super contested. At this time, Mourinho had Real Madrid playing really, really well. They, they, I think they had, like, four or five Classicos within two months. So they, they knew each other, like, what they were going to do. And there was really, like, minor tweaks they were doing, but... The players were all in. Obviously, we talked about it. there was fights, so it was super contested. And the first match, obviously, was in the Bernabeu, and you know we couldn't do anything. We had some opportunities, but it was a lot of back and forth, all this. And they bring in Afalai. I don't know if you remember Afalai, the Dutch guy, right? He's a Dutch oh, yeah, player. I comes, yeah. So he comes in. I think he came in for Pedro, right? And so he comes in on the right side. And he takes this one move, and he takes Marcelo off the ball, and he just goes down to the corner. And Messi, if you watch it on the video, Messi just times it perfectly. And not only does he hit it, but the way he hits that ball, he hits between Casillas' legs and scores the goal. And obviously, I'm jumping up, right? Like, okay, whatever. Like, they're up one nothing. Great. We got the away goal. Everything's looking good. And this is obviously in the second half, too. So I'm... I'm riding high. We're, you know, just like holding on. It's like, don't let Real Madrid score. Like, let's just get this goal. And I don't know how it is for you, Brian, but sometimes when I watch sports, it can be any sport, and you're about to see, I don't know, uh, a major moment or something that you've never seen before. There's kind of like this weird feeling like you get the hairs on the back of your hair, that like arm, that stick up kind of feeling. This is what I got with this second messy goal. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget this goal. And I think for me personally, it's his best goal ever because he took on the Real Madrid team by himself. Champions League semifinal. The whole world watching. Like, all Barcelona had to do was hold the ball, but Messi's like, no, nah, I'm going to win the game right now. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in this chair, and I Busquets just takes the ball and, like, tees it up for him, and Messi just takes it. 
and all of a sudden he just dribbles past Diara and he just goes down. And I just I I'll never forget like it was like slow motion. I was like, am I watching what I'm watching? You know. I stand up and I'm just like, oh my god! Like, and he of course scores the goal, and it's just like it's not the most it's not the most powerful shot you've ever seen, but it's the most well placed, angled, slow rolling shot you've ever seen, and he makes Casillas look so futile, you know, like so feeble, like it's just, and I was just so of course I start yelling like a madman because at this moment I know that Barcelona is going to be in the final when I'm in Barcelona, right? So nothing can be tired. And my mom comes in. She's like, are you okay? Because she thought I was having a heart attack or something because I was yelling so much, you know. And I was just like jumping around the room because like not only was it a culmination of me finishing my undergraduate, but it was also like Messi doing this amazing goal in the Bernabeu, like taking on eight players. Like you've, And these are not just like players against Hetafe or players against – Real Zaragoza, which is the other goals that he has that are amazing. This is against Real Madrid, Champions League semifinal. And for me, one of my favorite all-time Clásicos. And obviously, later that year, we were in Barcelona in a cafeteria watching the game with other Kules. They won. It was amazing. You know, they were in Wembley. They beat Manchester United. We were in the streets partying. I mean, you couldn't have... It, and obviously that shape, that trip changed my life because that you know that allowed me to experience Barcelona Madrid and I eventually moved here to Spain. So for me, that Clasico is the most significant, and for all those reasons, you know, obviously the Messi two goals, and I, I still watch those goals all the time, especially the one where he takes on the players, and the best one, if you watch, is the Ronaldo reaction video of that. It's just, it's just <laughs> amazing. It's priceless because. If like for me, it's like there's no argument with Ronaldo Messi. Have you ever seen Ronaldo do a goal like that? No. So again, <laughs> it's just like another thing where Messi can't even compare to Ronaldo. And Messi for me, that goal was just. I mean, he play, it was like he was playing against twelve year olds. And I, I'll never forget just yelling and my mom coming in. She's like, "What is going on?" And I'm like, "Ah, Barcelona's in the final." Because you knew two nothing the first the first draw. Like we were gonna we were gonna be able to advance like we were playing that well so so yeah so that was my classical do you remember this match at all oh i I remember it very very well and i actually did watch it again this past week since i knew we were going to be talking about it um i just want to know actually first off is so your father uh, is he kind of helped you get into barcelona um but where does your mother like factor into all this like how how invested is she in all of this like she knows football, right? Like if we're watching a match, she knows what's going on and stuff. But she doesn't. She's not invested at all. Like she'll, you know, she'll see the goal and just be like, whatever. But she knows that we, my father and I, both love Barcelona. So she'll, she knows Messi and she knows these players. But, but she's not like invested at all. So when she saw me jumping around, like she had no clue what, what I was doing. You know, she just saw I was watching football and and that's it. But she didn't know I was. It was like you know Champions League semifinals. So so um for me like this game was um. That was also in it was in that same year as the match that we talked about last week. Um, but of course, this was at the tail end of the year. And I I distinctly remember that this was in that time where they played four matches in the space of about three weeks. Right. They had one in the league. They had the uh, well, they had the Champions League semifinal two legs and they had the Copa del Rey final, which Real Madrid won. I And I. Not totally sure about this, but I think that's the last time Real Madrid won the Copa del Rey. And I just remember how exhausting that 
those three weeks were because you're just up for all of these classicos and it's so many classicos to happen in such a short period of time. And actually, it's really interesting how you and I have sort of parallel lives because I had just finished my undergraduate degree the previous like in mid-year. So like by the time this match had happened, I had gotten my my bachelor's. So I was just suffering through like living life in San Francisco on a part-time brewery job. <laughs> but but I was all up for these matches. At least I didn't have any schoolwork to do because there was a lot of matches to watch in three weeks. Uh, it was incredible. And so I was this past week, I was watching um, the game again. And that second goal, you're absolutely right. I mean, for one thing, it's a very uh, it was an odd free kick because it came off of a free kick that they got. And it, they didn't do it like they normally did it. So I wonder if there was some, if Messi went to Busquets or something and said, look, I'm just going to give you the ball and I just want you to hold it and let me take it from you. Because that's exactly what he did. Messi took the free kick, as I recall, and he he gives it to Busquets. Busquets just stands there and holds it for him. And he just runs and he saw the lanes. He saw the holes and he slaloms through all of these Real Madrid defenders and just puts it away. It, it's it, it happened on one hand. It happened so fast you can't even believe it. That's why you can watch it over and over and over again. But on the other hand, just like you were saying, you know, that moment. And this is what I like especially about, about soccer is it's the kind of game where you can have those moments where you see it. You see a goal about to happen or potentially a goal about to happen um, more than in – like in basketball, it, it's just a lot of scoring one after the other. And I don't watch a whole lot of basketball, so like there aren't quite as many plays like that where, you know, there's this tension of will it happen, what will happen, and then you see everything locking into place. But with soccer, you absolutely see that um, more often than not. You see everything kind of coming together, and you see the play develop, and you have that moment or two where the excitement before the goal happens can mount and this is exactly one of those things where it only takes a few seconds but in those few seconds all kinds of excitement just like wells up in you as you see the play developing and you see everything coming into place and locking in together to create a thing of beauty yeah i totally agree i would say the only other sport too is like baseball for me like with every pitch, especially in the playoffs, like when the Giants won the World Series the first time, like I can distinctly remember specific moments where the tension was so high, the pitch was going to come, they hit a home run, and like the excitement before matches the excitement of the actual play, you know? And so football does that a lot. But like we said, this this goal for me is like, for me, it's the best messy goal I've ever seen because it not only does it show the individual talent that he has, but also as a from a striker like the the angle he kicks the ball past Casillas it's not even it's just a slow roller but he's he dragged Casillas out so far that he hit the angle perfectly and everyone is pushing and pulling and tackling and he, no one can get him no one can get him and it's like oh it's just you know that's for me is his best goal ever yeah and that's a lot of goals to choose from Correct, especially against Real Madrid too. You know, I, I for me that's not only be, like I said the individual run, but also the the stakes, the Champions League semifinal to go to the final. And like you said, those classic I'll never forget those classicals were super high tension. Yeah, like you said, you know, you were so exhausted because every time the game was, there was so much riding on each game. You know, and 
Yeah, but uh, but Barcelona were able to get those two. Um, they got the victory the first the first uh, first leg and the second leg they tied, so they advanced to the final against Manchester United. Yeah, and um, that match, the first half was especially tense. And what's interesting about it is that you know again they were playing all of these matches against each other in, in a very short space of time, and Madrid had you know beaten them, but also in this game. They were playing in Madrid, and still they were, as far as tactics and like technical facility are concerned, they were still outclassed, not not unlike the way they were earlier on in that season, in that November 2010 match, the La Manita. You know, they were still outclassed on the ball. So, of course, Real Madrid was playing very physically, a uh, lot of fouls, and actually, who was it? Pe- uh, Pepe uh, wound up getting ejected from this, from that game, uh, and so you see all this tension, and you see how like there's a difference in, well, not just approach and strategy, but also just like in in class, like like Real Madrid is playing much more physically, and that's their solution, right, to deal with how how great Barcelona are on the ball and keeping it away from them. And so when Afalai came on, and this is, that was actually a, like a pretty good year for Afalai, right? But, you know, he, he wasn't exactly a, a star for Barcelona in the in the annals of Barcelona history. But he had a good year and he had a really good game. And in that moment, you know, Marcelo like slipped up a little bit and Afalai took advantage of it and he put that ball in. And suddenly all that tension that's been mounting through the entire first half and part of the second half is released, and with it's such a great goal, and then the second one, it was just like like bonus upon bonus upon bonus. Exactly. And if you listen to the commentary when they when they talk about the two goals, it's like it's so spot on. Like Messi is just pure class. Like he just you think about all the important goals he scored for Barcelona in these important moments, you know. And like of course, this is another moment. He just took those two opportunities and scored two goals. And of course, those are like. Goals that are always going to be in the history of Barcelona, especially against it was against Real Madrid and it was a Champions League. So, like I said, for me, I, you know, like we talked about, like I was screaming, yelling, jumping. You know, I I've not, I don't think I've ever been as excited. You know, and yeah, so I'll never forget that. And I just remember my mom just yelling at me, just telling me the neighbors are going to call the cops because they're you're yelling so loud. <laughs> That's what she said, and I was like, the only thing my mom just needed to say was like. Oh, Messi just needs to hustle more or something like this. And I've right. been like, you know, so yeah, but she was like, yeah, the neighbor's going to call the cops because you're yelling so much. I was like, yeah, but Messi just scored the greatest goal I've ever seen in my life, you know? So, so yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd put that on, I'd say it's probably the best goal I've ever seen him score. And again, that's a lot of goals to choose from. I think the other big, uh, like highlight reel one is that fading header from uh, an, another Champions League match uh, before this one. Um, that's that's the one that often gets in the highlight reels. And this one doesn't often. But it, but in a way, in so many ways, it's a it's a much better goal. The way he, the run he makes, the dribble he makes, and how he sets up his own shot and then makes such a great shot. You know, because like Casillas was and is a great goalkeeper and he still beat him. Yeah, and like I said, you know, that's what makes Messi such a great uh, striker is the angles 
that he shoots at, right? He knows the specific angle. If you watch the goal, he has mastered the going left and then kicking it back to the right post. And he does. And on this goal, he does the opposite, right? He dragged Casillas to the right and kicked it back to the left post. And the way it's just a slow roller, you know, and Casillas just looks back and things just like slowly rotating back behind him, right in the net. It's just a thing of beauty, a thing of beauty. <laughs> yes. So that was that was uh, a great great reminiscence to have. So next week we're going to talk about yet another Classico, and we have not selected it yet because we're uh, we're going to actually put it out to you, the listeners. I picked one, Gabriel picked one, but now it's up to you. So uh, what are we going to be doing here, Gabriel? So I'm going to set up some sort of Twitter, no, not Twitter, but I'm going to set up some sort of poll. I'm going to put it on Facebook and on Twitter. You'll be able to add your own Classico and people can vote on it. So that'll be set up hopefully by Tuesday. So you can check it out on Tuesday. Vote. Um, you can write in your favorite Classico and we'll do the research and we'll talk about our memories of it and the history of it and so forth. Yes. So uh, get involved in that. Get Have your voice heard. This is the democratic process taking place here. So uh, we want to talk about another Classico next week and you can control which one that is. Now, also, uh, just a little break. This is a first for Barca Talk. If you want to help support the show, uh, visit barsatalk.net and click on the support button in the show notes for this episode, and you'll be able to um, give us some support, i.e. money. Uh, So just a quick call for that. We're not making a big deal out of it, but we do want to let you know that that is an option that we're now making available. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Now on to uh, checking in with Barca B and FCB Femini. Uh, I'm going to be handling the women. Gabriel, why don't you start us off with Barca B? What's going on with them? Barca B is killing us. No, just kidding. They <laughs> they lost yesterday in the Catalan Derby against Rouse. They lost 2-1. to uh, Arnai scored a penalty goal um, before halftime. But other than that, there wasn't really too many clear goal-scoring opportunities for Barca B. Barca B had much of the possession, but they didn't really create any uh, clear scoring chances, like I said before. So currently they're situated 18th place with 17 points. They're still kind of in that relegation zone. They just need to, you know, put it together. But again, we talked about how difficult this division is. You know, that's why it's really difficult for Barca B to stay up because they're playing against these, you know, these adult men that have just played in They've been playing a long time. So, for example, their next game is Friday night against Sporting Gijon. And Sporting Gijon was in La Liga last year. So, I mean, these are teams that have just recently been in La Liga. So they have uh, higher payroll, higher resources invested in their team. But, again, Gijon is in ninth, ninth place with 24 points. So you can see the point disparity is not that huge, right? So that's why Barca B just needs a, a tie here, a win there, and just kind of like we talked about always, we talk about every podcast. We just want them to stay up because it just helps those players, especially now we're going to need those Barca B players coming in with the injuries that we're having. And who knows if Alenia gets a call up, like we talked about Santos, the center back is probably going to get a call up. It'll help them with their confidence that the the talent gap isn't as big going from second division to the first division. So they'll have better success. So Barca B, like we said, they're in 18th place and their next game is Friday against Sporting Gijon. Yeah, and it's it's a really tough uh, pull for them because as as we've noted and as, as you just said, you know, you've got essentially very young and re- rather inexperienced players uh, on essentially what is a training squad for Barcelona, you know, competing with 
much older and more experienced guys who have actually been in the first division. On a side note, I saw this video that FC Barcelona posted about their kids team. I think it was like their under 13 team could be. And they destroyed this poor team. I don't know where they were from. They destroyed them like 8-1 or something like this. These kids are incredible. Like I was watching the video and I was just like, good God. They were like doing these roles. They were, you know, passing. And the other team was just like, eh, we don't know what we're doing here, you know. <laughs> so that's what I love, like how these kids get this type of football education, you know, how to play together, how to pass you know, the style of Barcelona and also just like the teamwork because every time they score a goal, you just see how much joy they have of scoring the goal. And that just leads up to, you know, Barca B and then eventually to the senior team. So like we said, you know, Barca B, they have a tough, you know, this is a tough season for them because like you said, they're young, inexperienced, but hopefully just with the more matches they play, they just can figure out that they're just as talented, if not more, and they just have to figure out tactically what to do in these matches to get those points and stay in the into the Segunda division. Now, do you have any thoughts about the? I don't. I forget his name actually right now, but the uh, the manager for for Barca B. What do you think about about him? Is is this something that could be? I mean, could their performance improve uh, with a different manager, maybe, or uh, a slight change in in management of the of the B squad? I mean, I always think it's so difficult, right? Because, you, I mean, it's so young of a team, you know, you can only do so much. So, you know, obviously I would just keep rolling what they're doing, you know, just really focus on the four-three-three and just really focus on those principles so when those players have to come up, they can easily adapt. But I don't think there really needs to be a coaching change. It's it's a really difficult task. I mean, you're, you're playing against these 28-year-old, 29-year-old, and your team is like 21, 20. You know, it's just a different, a different type of beast. But... You know, we'll see how it does. Again, this is their first year in the Segunda Division, so they're, you know, they just need to survive. You know, however that may be, it'll just make them stronger mentally um, players if they can survive this league and stay out of the relegation. So that was the Barca B this past week. Uh, what is going on with FCB Feminine, Brian? I have a lot to tell you about FCB Femini, even though not a whole lot happened this past week. So uh, first thing is that the uh, they had the Champions League quarterfinal draw for the, the Women's Champions League, and Barcelona drew Olympique Lyon, which is a very tough draw. Uh, Olympic have won the uh, the competition a record four times, including the last two years. So Olympique Lyon, the women's side, have won two Women's Champions Leagues in a row. And uh, just by comparison, right, um, FCB Femini went through the round of 32 this year uh, with a 6 to nothing aggregate and then the round of 16 with a 9 to nothing aggregate, which sounds really good. But Lyon, by comparison, went through those same rounds with like 14-0 and 16-0 aggregates. Um, the uh, the captain of FCB Femini, Lara Rafols, when she was talking to the press about this draw, you know, she admitted that Olympic are really the best and a very complete team. Um, but they're going to try and get a decent result out of the first leg, which will be in Lyon. And they're going to try and bring that back to the mini study for the second leg. And um, both of these are going to be played in March, sort of later March. And uh, this is, on the other hand, the third year in a row that... Um, the Barca women have made it to the quarters and they went on to the semis last year. So, of course, the hope is to get past Olympic and make it to the semis again. Um, but again, it's going to be a really tough, really tough uh, two leg tie. 
Now, if you're going to be in Barcelona around March 28th or 29th, that's when they're playing the second leg in the mini study, and tickets are free. So if you're going to be there in March 28th, 29th, check it out and cheer on the team because they are going to need it. It's going to be a tough match because Olympique Lyon is one of those teams, one of the first teams in Europe that really put a lot of resources into the women's side. So they have a lot of history with being a really strong team. And so I was just kind of looking at their roster of who's who's. Obviously, the French team has always been on the up and up, and they have a strong French contingent, and they also have some international players sprinkled in there. But like you said, they're going to need the support. Hopefully they can get some good results out of these two matches because this is going to be a serious test for the women, for sure. Now, also this past week in the Liga Femenina Iberdrola, uh, the the women did win. They won 6-1 to one over Betis. So we had two goals each from Tony Duggan and Barbara, one each from Natasha Andonova and Marta Torrejon. Now, um, also in the league, uh, Athletic Club took three points from their match against Rayo, which keeps them pretty well on the heels of both Barcelona and Atletico with 24 points to Barcelona's 28. And um, Atletico hasn't played yet for this weekend when we're recording. So they might get another three points out of their match with Sevilla, uh, but we'll have to, we're just going to update on that next week. So uh, generally with a three point lead and being only 10 and after this weekend, 11 games into a 30 game season, Atletico don't have this title in the bag by any stretch, even though they are up three points on Barcelona. But uh, so Barcelona definitely have some work to do on at the same time. Um, Atletico are no longer in the Women's Champions League, uh, having been knocked out by Wolfsburg. So in March, our women are going to have some more playing to do uh, not long after their league match with Atletico. And I feel like the match with Atletico in the league is going to be fairly decisive at that point. But again, you know, we don't know how the league is going to shape up. We've seen some crazy results in the, uh, the men's Premier Division this last weekend. So you never know what could happen, but... I mean, if we if we assume that uh, these kinds of standings are going to stay roughly the same, we're really going to have to bring it to Atletico in March. So it's going to be it's going to be a tough league, but they're still looking good. They're still playing well. They're not out of it by any stretch. And uh, we're hoping that they get another good result next week against Sevilla. Now, before we launch into the match reviews, let's do a quick La Liga recap. Uh, big news, uh, sort of an upset. Athletic Bilbao drew Real Madrid at the San Mames. And uh, during this match also, uh, the dubious honor was bestowed upon Sergio Ramos that he has now been the most ejected player in La Liga history. Uh, he took two yellow cards, and so he was ejected on the second one. Again, making him the most ejected player in La Liga history. So congratulations to Sergio Ramos. We're happy with uh, you know how that came out. Also, um, Atletico pulled out a late win over Real Sociedad. And in the Valencia-Getafe match, Getafe scored an upset, beating Valencia 1-0. So at the end of Week 14, the table is as such. Barcelona is still at the top with 36 points. Valencia behind by 5 points now at 31. Atletico Madrid at 30. And Real Madrid 8 points behind Barcelona with 28 points. I don't think we could be much happier with that. So the first match that we're going to review uh, for this episode is, of course, the Wednesday Copa del Rey match uh, with Murcia. It was the second leg of the round of 16 in the Camp Nou, and the result was very good. It was 5-0, uh, so that was an 8-0 aggregate overall. So 
Barcelona is easily going ahead into the next round of Copa del Rey. And uh, this was kind of a funny game to watch. You know, there were a number of young players in this match. Alenia and Oriol Busquets, 18-year-old, same position as Sergio, but no relation. They both started. And uh, in general, it was one of those matches where you were mostly just watching individual players kind of like scouting, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, the, like you mentioned, Elenia Busquets getting the start. So you were watching the games just for those individual players to see how they look in the Barca uniform. So again, it was a little bit strange watching it. But again, they were able to pull off the victory and the young players looking good. Yeah. Now, like Elenia, for example, he had actually kind of a slow first half. It was a little timid, I thought. Um, but he did get more intense in the second half. And then he also set things in motion on both uh, PK's and Vidal's goals. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Alenia's growth. You know, he's he's becoming a really solid player. And again, he's just trying to find his way into the match, not really kind of, you know, taking the reins of the match so quickly. And I kind of like that. It, you know, it's a really uh, mature skill to have to kind of find your way into the game, especially as a central midfielder, find your way. And then obviously setting up PK and Vidal for those goals. Yeah, it was really solid once it, once he got more involved. But yeah, that's a good point that he he's able to be a little bit patient and kind of try and read things and see how he can get into the game. Now, the other uh, B-team starter, this was his uh, debut for the first team, Oriol Busquets. Only 18, he looked pretty comfortable, although uh, Barca had so much possession and they were mostly keeping to the wings. He wasn't especially pivotal in this match, but it was his first team debut. I think he handled himself very well. So uh, congratulations to Oriol on that. Yeah, excited to see. You know, it's always exciting to see these new prospects come. And you just want them to succeed. And that's exactly what Busquets did. He didn't do anything to to kind of tell you, like, oh, my gosh, this guy's not ready. 18, I mean, could you imagine 18 playing, uh, even though it's just a, a match against Murcia? But again, he's with the senior team, and he looked good so far. Doesn't it feel weird to say Busquets and not be talking about Sergio? Exactly. This is like, I don't know. Busquets long lost cousin or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah now my notes on sort of the lineup and the way things were were set up in the first half it was honestly a little bit off you know because Vidal was at right wing and I know he can get forward um, but he's just not a winger himself and uh, Semedo was obviously I think the better choice for right back but he and Semedo weren't really linking up in any real way except for the one case where Semedo put in a short cross and Vidal scored with his head Uh, but in general Vidal is I think you know better as an attacking fullback who's going to make the overlapping run and put in a cross you know he's he's not the guy who's going to get the ball and beat his man in traditional winger style so yeah, I totally agree. He, you know, his his first position is right back, but like, uh, you know, we talked about a couple times, like his defensive prowess isn't the best. So I think putting him at right wing, you just kind of live with his attacking, and he doesn't give up so much on defense. Quick question for you: Who would you prefer at right wing, Vidal or Deuces? Now, I I would go with Deuces even now, even now. I would I would still go with Deuces at right wing. See, I I would kind of go with Vidal because I think Vidal is a little bit more, I don't know, dynamic in that he can do the crosses, and I think he understands his role better than Deuces right now. That's just my opinion, obviously, your opinion with Deuces. I mean, you know, these are the type of, you know, like we said, Vidal is a perfect, perfect Copa del Rey player. Yeah, yeah, he's perfect for these early round Copa del Rey games. You just put him in there, give give the other guys some rest. <laughs> but But as far as Deuces, he was playing on left wing, which was also not great, you know. Um, 
no matter what position you put deuces in, he clearly wants to favor his right foot, and he goes really far out of his way to do that. And so it makes a lot of his plays predictable. Um, also, he took a lot of very heavy touches in this match. Uh, there was one case specifically where Alenia gave him a great pass that should have been an assist. He should have converted it into a goal. But on that play and many others, Deuce's touch was about as delicate as a canned ham. That's that's beautiful poetry. Canned ham deuces. You know, I mean, what else can we say? You know, his heavy touch, that's just something he's got to work on. Again, we talked about it earlier. It might be just an attitude thing where he just thinks he's too good to be playing against Murcia in a Copa del Rey match on a Wednesday night. He'd rather be at home. I don't know. You know, I like I said, this should be his lab. He should be using these matches to try new moves, get more confidence, getting more goals, getting more chemistry link up with Alenia. But obviously he just, you know, there's something off. Like he just keeps doing the same move. He still favors his right foot, and he's still predictable. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, the bright spot for me was seeing Sergio Roberto back. Uh, once he came on uh, and some other subs took place, he took the center midfield position. He ran the attack. Um, also, Semedo came off, and Vidal shifted to right back. And uh, Deuces came over to right wing when Arnais came on. So Arnice took over left wing. And that was when everything kind of clicked into place much better. And that's when the last three goals came uh, in the final 30 minutes of the match. So again, deuces looked better at right wing than he did at left wing, but his touch was still failing him. And that exact, that goes exactly back to what Carlos was saying earlier on in the episode. Yeah, I definitely think when your boy came into the match, I think that kind of settled things a little better. It put everyone in more of their natural position and also brought in our nice and our nice is, you know, he's super talented. The future is bright for him. He keeps scoring goal for Barca B. I'm really excited to see him eventually get his time with the senior team. But again, moving Roberto back into the center and putting deuces on the right, Vidal on the right back, it just maybe put more flow, more chemistry, and they were able to create those three goals. Now, do you think that Arnais might start seeing some first team action like in La Liga this year? I'm not sure. It just really depends on injuries and need. You know, I think if maybe Suarez gets hurt and Dembele gets hurt again or something like this, then you could see Arnice. But I think, you know, I think he's still maybe one or two years away. But he's super talented. He keeps scoring and he just looks super comfortable playing in these type of matches already, which is, you know, a unique thing to have already. You know, a, a young player having this type of confidence playing in these type of matches it's just like it's it could be a Barca B game or a Copa del Rey game he looks the same in both that's true so yeah I'm curious to see how how he shapes up either this year or maybe next year now my man of the match for this was actually Denis Suarez uh he scored one very nice goal that came from a I think truly masterful one-touch assist from Sergi and he made a great assist for himself of on the Arnais goal uh, he just he took the pass from Vidal and redirected it behind himself, you know, right leg behind left leg, right into the path of Arnice, and Arnice put it away nicely. So for me, Dennis was the man of the match. I think he stood out. He really looked like a true first team player who was, you know, playing in an early round Copa del Rey match. Yeah, I think that's a good choice, and I think Dennis Dennis should get some more playing time as well. I think, you know, maybe having him start more matches here and there. I think. We need to foster, you know, we need to get Dennis more playing time and more confidence because he has the talent, you know, he has the talent and he has the Barca style. So I think that's a really great choice for the man of the match. 
Now, who was your man of the match? My man of the match was Paco. I mean, I just I want him to play more, so I'm just going to nominate him for this match. I know maybe other players had some better statistics, but again, Paco continues a streak of another game, another goal. So you can't deny his his run right now, and I think he should be getting more time with you know La Liga games and hopefully developing some sort of partnership with Suarez. Yeah, that would be great to see. Um, now, next match. This was the tough one. Uh, this was in La Liga against Celta in the Camp Nou on Saturday. The result was a 2-2 draw. And uh, we're, let's start off with the lineup. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I understand what uh, Val Green is trying to do with the lineup. He's trying to protect Vermeulen back there on the defense. So he went with four midfielders. It was kind of like a 4-4-2 like you have here. I like this 4-4-1 Messi, you know, like Messi just kind of went all over the, the field. But again, I would, you know, I think we can beat Celta, and I think going with a four, four-two or something like this. But having Paco instead of, you know, just Messi and Suarez up there, I think would have really helped. What were your thoughts on the tactics? Um, well, again, I think this goes back to what you were saying about Paco. Is I would be more curious to see a similar situation to what Valverde has been doing, but like in this game, he lined up Suarez and Messi pretty much as a striking partnership. And I think it would be better to have Paco and Suarez as striking partners up front with Messi just behind them. So kind of a modified 4-3-3 where instead of two wingers, you have two strikers and Messi. So I guess that would be more like a 4-3-1-2 if uh, if we're using you know FIFA's uh, tactical layouts. But in any case, I would be more curious to see that. Um, you know, having Pauly in there is important i think for val green val green is generally taking a slightly more defensive uh, strategy with his tactics and i think it's becoming increasingly more defensive as the year is uh proceeding so uh, i would like to see a slightly more attacking situation but i again i get what he's doing also he's you know just he knows that celta can score he knows that celta can run on us and uh you know so he was trying to account for that yeah i mean i i definitely want to see like like you said, like a four three one two, something like that, where Paco and Suarez are at the top, Messi's right behind him, and then you have the three midfielders holding possession as much as possible. And I think that would be not only a fearsome attacking force, but also would make our defense just as strong. But again, this is kind of, you know, the yin and the yang of this. If he goes all offensive and we lose, then it's like everyone will you know, discuss about we should have got more def- defensive. And this match, again, we, we didn't lose the match. We got points. But again, w- we just want a couple of tweaks in here and there. And like I said, I want Pauly to come in off the bench. I think he's a stronger player in the second half against teams that are tired because he's so physical and he's also an attacking player. But again, he was my player of the match, and I think he had a strong game. But I just, you know, those are a couple of the tweaks I would have done. But Celta is a good team. You know, they're not they're not, you know, they're not the bottom tier. They're a really strong team and they came to play for sure. Well, yeah. And you pointed out last week when we did the preview that Iago Aspas would be the player to watch. And he he did not disappoint. You know, he came out to play. Yeah, he looked really good. And and again, he's kind of one of those players. He, he kind of reminds me of Nolito when Nolito was on Celta, where when they come to play against Barcelona, they really raise their game and they really want to you know, raise their profile against Barcelona, kind of, you know, make them uh, keep tabs on them kind of a thing. But again, Aspas had a great game. He had an assist on the second goal. That was just a brilliant goal. Unfortunately, MTT got hurt on that play. But again, Aspas is, has been a solid player for Celta for, for his whole career at Celta. So nothing new there. 
Yeah, well, like that first Celta goal, and that was the first goal of the match. Uh, I think the main thing on the Barcelona end of things is that PK just he got his offside trap wrong. He was he was late on trying to move the lineup, and so he got caught out. Now I, I think it's worth noting that Ter Stegen made a truly magical save on the first time, but Aspas got it on the rebound. Yeah, Ter Stegen made a great save on the first one, but Aspas was right there. Again, a great type of poacher's goal. He was right there just to put it right in. Again, PK just kind of made a uh, mistake there. There's nothing, you know, it's one of those things like that's where these teams are professionals, right? Like they had one chance and they had one goal. You know, usually maybe a team doesn't score on that opportunity. So that's just, you know, part of the game. But unfortunately, PK made that mistake and Celta were able to take advantage of it. Yeah. Now on the other Celta goal, um, it was actually, I mean, it was really good wide play on Celta's part. You know, they, they're a good team. And, you know, they are being managed by Carlos Unsue, the former Barcelona assistant manager so you know he's not intimidated by the field he's not intimidated by the stadium you know he is comfortable being there so I think he also probably gave Celta um, gave his team um, some good confidence going in but in any case um, this was the play where Umtiti had to pull up uh, with with his injury which gave Aspas the space to get that cross in and you know make that run down the side so uh, there are a couple of things on that goal um Looking at the replay, it seemed like Sergi maybe should have been marking Gomez, and and he wasn't, and and Gomez was actually the one who got the got the goal in. So, first point: should Sergi have been marking Gomez? Did he make an error on that? I mean, I just think it was just pure chaos because as soon as TT pulled up, all of a sudden Aspas had a clear lane to the corner, you know, and then all of a sudden you're just it's like a scramble drill. Obviously, you know, looking at the replay, Sergi could have done better. But again, when that when Umtiti just pulls up, that throws everything off. You know, it's just a chaos drill. Again, Aspas made a really great run. He made a great cross. The guy got free, and it was a goal. There's, I mean, it's one of those things. Yeah, you could have done a little bit this, a little bit that. But I think when Umtiti pulled up, it just it was like a scramble drill, and so that just kind of threw everyone into pure chaos. Now the other thing, and this is like the cynical take on it. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not one who's in favor of uh, of just making fouls or anything, but uh, the cynical take on this is, especially once Umtiti knew that he was hurt, because he pulled up just as he was shoulder to shoulder with Aspas. If Umtiti had fouled Aspas and taken him down, he could have stopped the goal from happening and and shut down the play, and he still, you know, he still would have been injured either way. So, uh, what do you think about that that scenario? I admit that it's cynical. But. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. But also at the same time, like, you know, what, have you ever pulled your hamstring? It's kind of like one of those things where it just fires up on your ass, you know, like it just – and so you're kind of just awestruck. And so, you know, you're you're more occupied about that. Obviously, it would have been great if he could have done that. He would have been superhuman, right? Pull, pull his hamstring and then fouled? Like that would have been crazy. You know, uh, he could have tried. Maybe it was something less serious. I think maybe he could have done that. But again, it just happened so fast. You know, he's on a dead sprint and then pulls up and and then Aspas had a free lane. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, so in those two situations, um, one was just a, a small error that Celta were able to capitalize on on PK's part. And the other one, you know, you couldn't you could could not have possibly um, seen that coming. Right. It was just an injury that came out of nowhere. And that's really what allowed that second goal to happen. Now, on the other hand. Uh, we did score two goals, both of which were fantastic. But there was also the denied goal when Suarez was called offside uh, incorrectly. 
And so there, you know, it's this again, this is at the professional top level. This is where even referees and often referees, as it turns out, after last week, will can make small mistakes that well, in the moment they're small, but you know, they have they have uh, lasting impacts. You know, so Suarez was called offside. He wasn't offside. He was on. So it was an error. And I'm not trying to um, I'm not trying to rake the referees over the coals too much about this, but it was a mistake and uh, we should have had another goal. Exactly. The referees in La Liga, you know, they're like we talked about last week with the game at Valencia. And then I watched all the sports shows this week and they were just talking about why doesn't La Liga have either goal line technology or VAR. And it just really comes down to money. And it's so stupid. Like if La Liga wants to be the best league in the world, you have to be adaptive with these technologies to help the referee. All it is is helping the referee, especially with the goal line technology where it just tells you the goal. Right. But again, with this offside, maybe they're just so used to Suarez being offsides all the time, so they just called him offsides, right? Like we said last game in Valencia, right? Like seven, six times he was offside. Yeah, of course. You know, they could have looked at the VAR maybe and given the goal. But again, Barcelona had other chances in the game to make some other goals too. So you can't, you know, it doesn't decide one play. Like Paulinho had an opportunity to score a goal and they unfortunately wasn't able to get it. PK had a really nice opportunity uh, on that free kick, which was an, an amazing set play, like that play was awesome. How they just ran it and PK hit the post. You know, it's just like a, an inch left. You know, so yeah, you know, we could have won the game, but also again, our defense we were not the greatest today. We allowed two goals, and we should have done better. Yeah, and I was thinking the same exact thing about Suarez. Like, if you're a linesman and you're and you're not absolutely sure whether a player was on or off, I mean, you you kind of have to think about well, this guy is offside a lot. I, and, I'm, you know, I mean, all these plays happen so fast that you have to, and you have to make split second decisions that, you know, if you know Suarez to be a player who's often offside, which he is. And, you know, if if uh, your eyes aren't dead set on that line when the ball is played, because that's the trick about being a linesman, right? You have to, on one hand, stay even with the second to last defender. But then you also have to check to see when the ball is played because that's you know that's the uh, that's the calculus of determining whether it's offside or not. And um, if it's Suarez you're dealing with, you know that like last week he was offside six times. So you know why not call him offside? Exactly, it's kind of like being safe than sorry, right? Like you'd rather just call him offsides and just take the you know the criticism from there. But again, Barcelona had other opportunities to score and they should have done better. And their defense should have been better this time. But Celta came to play. And again, I don't know if it goes back to these early start games. You know, these early start games are really hard for Barcelona to get up for. Again, this is another early start game. Kind of not the best performance. They could have got the win. And, you know, I don't know if it's also the stadium wasn't as full. I don't know if you noticed that on TV. Like, there's just something about these early kickoff games that just, you know, it's kind of like a downer for the team. They just maybe they don't get up for it as much. Yeah, potentially. Now, okay, coming back, here's my man of the match because we said we would do this. My man of the match is Luis Suarez because he wasn't actually offside once, you know. We've said before that we would give him man of the match if he could just stay onside, and he did. Also, he played really well overall. He's actually looking a lot better than he has in the recent past. Not just the goal, but uh, he looked sharper than he has lately, and his positioning generally was good uh, beyond just staying onside. 
Yeah, I think it was definitely one of his best games in recent months. And again, I think he just looked he just looked sharper. I think that's a great word you use. He just looked sharper. Like he looked more into it. He looked like he actually, you know, maybe he got yelled at for all the offsides because like he I think he made a conscious effort this time to not be outside. And you can clearly see that, you know, when he scores a goal and he's sharp, we're super dangerous because, again, Messi scored another goal. I mean, what can you say about Messi? I mean, he's just how he scored that goal, like just through the guy's leg. Like, oh, my God, like I still can't. Again, it's messy. And if we have Suarez helping a little bit with the goals, and then obviously when Dembele comes, again, that just gives us more goals, and the other teams have to chase us. Yeah, and actually, if you want to talk about the uh, the Barcelona goals, yeah, that the first goal from Messi two minutes after Celta opened up the scoring, I mean, it was a beautiful team play goal. You know, you had Messi giving it to Iniesta kind of deep and then starting his run, and Celta just were not keeping track of him. Iniesta to Suarez to, to Pauly, who put it back out to Messi, and then, you know, there he was, put it in through Blanco's legs. And I got to give props to Pauly, actually, for getting that final pass through to Messi. It went through a lot of legs to get to him. And you also have to give it up to Suarez for actually letting that pass from Pauly run to Messi rather than trying to take it on. Yeah, it was just really nice goal, and especially a really good uh, answer after Celta took the lead. You know, two minutes after they got, they were able to tie the match. And so, again, what can you say? Messi, from the get-go, he looked fresh. I think not playing this week against Murcia, obviously, he just looked way, he looked much faster. He looked hungry, uh, just, and of course, he scored the, that goal, and that goal, which is, again, the way he just, you know, it's like you have, you know, basically three options, right? It's like near post, far post, and... I guess at the keeper, right? But he's just like at the keeper, but below the legs, and he was able to find the five hole and score that goal. Yeah, and then Suarez's goal in the 63rd minute, that was a beautiful one-touch play. You know, Alba and Messi are working together really nicely now. Of course, we saw last year how, like, Alba was not so involved with Neymar out on the left, but since Neymar leaving... You know, you see Alba and Messi really sort of like rekindling a romance that had had gone dormant. You know, it's like it's like as soon as Neymar was out of the picture, it's kind of like Alba was texting Messi, be like, "You up? Yes, I'm up. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Just thinking about you. Yeah, it was Just thinking you know, about you. Al- Alba passed it to Messi and started his run. Messi puts it back out to Alba. One touch. And then, again, one touch, cross in for Suarez. Suarez is there, puts it away. It was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, if that if that goal happened last week, Suarez would have been offsides, you know? I think he really, made a, con- I think he really made a conscious effort this weekend to really focus on being onside. And that play was just a really nice team goal again. Alba, you know, the little squirrel, you know, he's just – he makes those little passes that are so dangerous. And, of course, Suarez was right there to pounce. Again, it just started with Messi at the top again. And – what can you say? It was a great team goal, and it, and it looked like they were going to pull out the victory. However, Celtic came and scored. <laughs> I, <was> gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I like the pause. <laughs> I'm just, I just want that as it is. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> well, so I already talked about how I, I'm naming Suarez man of the match for staying onside. Who was your man of the match? Yeah, my man of the match first was the FC Barcelona app. I was able to listen to the match on the radio there, so that was able to allow me to follow the match as best as possible. I was waiting to get home. 
But uh, Paulinho, so that's a, a, a first in Barca talk, uh, me picking Paulinho as the man of the match. You know, he had good opportunities. Again, I prefer his role to be like the closer, like in baseball, to come in at the 75-minute mark and really put pressure on the other team's defense. I think that role fits him really well. But again, he had a really strong game. He had some goal-scoring opportunities. He had, you know, I looked up the stats. Um, he had a good passing success rate of 85%. Again, I just think, you know, Val Green uses him because of his physicality. And more and more, he's becoming an important player. However, I would just like to see, instead of Paulinho play, maybe Sergio Roberto. I think Sergio Roberto would add a little bit more possession and also more uh, better chemistry with Messi and the link up with Busquets. But Paulinho had a really good match. Yeah. Now, actually, I, I haven't been keeping a tally, but I think this is maybe the third time that the uh, FC Barcelona app has been your man of the match. I think that's your most awarded man of the match is the FC Barcelona app. It is an amazing ma- uh, app. You know, it's like it's got everything you need. It gives you the lineup faster than anyone. It's got the radio option, which is great. So if you can't watch the match, you can listen to either English or Spanish, which I think is great. And again, it's just a great app. I mean, they've definitely done major improvements in the last two years. So congratulations, FC Barcelona app. You are my man of the match other than Messi. Now, looking ahead to the week First match we've got coming up is at the Camp Nou um, against Sporting Lisbon. So this is uh, the final match in Group D of the Champions League that's going to be happening on Tuesday. So Sporting Lisbon, they were uh, they were a tough, tough opponent in Lisbon. Um, now for this match, a win would be nice, but not necessary. Uh, in any scenario, we're going on to the next round. And in order for Juventus to take the top of the group, we'd have to, one, lose against Sporting, not draw, but lose against Sporting in the Camp Nou, which is unlikely. And two, Juventus would have to score seven goals against Olympiacos, which, I mean, is not impossible, but that's also a little unlikely. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm curious to see what lineup Val Green uses, because if he goes kind of like a B squad, then you can kind of see, you know, they're trying to preserve for the the match coming up, uh, La Liga match. But again, uh, not impossible, but very unlikely. I, I think that, I, like, for example, I think Messi's going to play in the Champions League match on, what is it, Tuesday? Yep, Tuesday. So now our player to watch for uh, Sporting Lisbon, um, we have to admit we were both a little unprepared f- <laughs> to talk about this. So uh, we, we picked out this player for Sporting Lisbon. His name is Baz Dost. And uh, what when you first saw his name, Gabriel, what did you think it was? Yeah, so I, you know, I thought it was Dab. I don't even know what was it. I, what did I think it was? Oh, I think das, you said you oh, thought it was Das Boot. Yeah, Das Boot. Yeah, I thought it was Das Boot at first, and I, we were laughing about that. But yeah, so he's our quote unquote player to watch for Sporting Lisbon. He has the most goals on the team with ten. Um, how tall is he, Brian? He's a uh, 196 centimeters tall. Oh. He also weighs 78 kilograms. Oh, there we go. So those are some of his vital stats, right? So um, he recently has been coming off the bench as more of like a attacking, you know, second half player. But again, he has 10 goals. Uh, I think he has eight goals in their league and two in the Champions League. So he's definitely a player to watch for Sporting Lisbon. Yeah, and again with with Umtiti out, you know, our defense might be might be tested if Bazdost is is playing. Um, also, uh, he wears shirt number 28, which is uh, the same number of years he has been alive on Earth. Wow. Coincidence? Who knows? Yeah. So you can tell that we were we really like went out of our way to do a scouting report on on sporting for, the, <laughs> for this match. But I mean, it's 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 not a no consequence match, but it's a it's a 
it's it's well the stakes aren't as high as as they would have been earlier on you know we're looking very comfortable at the top of the group and again um some fairly unlikely things would have to happen for us to not move ahead in the champions league at the top of the group which is of course how you want to end up your your group stage is at the top of the group the more difficult match the one that we want to be more worried about is in la liga next sunday against Villarreal and they're going to be playing this on the road so that's definitely worth pointing out now Villarreal they're actually having a fairly decent season they're sitting in sixth place just a few points behind Sevilla Um, they did fall to Leganes on Saturday and their captain Bruno Sordiano he's injured at the moment and probably won't play in that match so that could be a problem for them Uh, of course our main concern is probably the fact that they're going to be playing on the road yeah but at least there's a night game this is a uh partidazo that's what it's called here in spain where it's the 845 match so it's the main draw so that's in our favor so we won't have another day game and hopefully another uh better performance by the team by the team the other thing we talked about is the Estadio Ceramica is a small stadium. Again, these type of stadiums give Barcelona a little bit of a problem because they can't spread out as wide. Uh, Villarreal has tighter opportunities to defend the tiki-taka passing. So again, we'll see how Barcelona come out in their formation, especially with Umtiti's injury. We're probably going to be in a 4-4-2 again, most likely. Yeah, now who's your, your player to watch in this match? So my player to watch is Carlos Baca. He's a Colombian um, right now he has four goals in La Liga, two in Europa League. I really like this player when he used to play for Sevilla, and then he went to AC Milan to get the money, and of course he had a terrible year because, again, it's really difficult to jump leagues, and especially AC Milan's not, you know, they're not as good as they used to be. Um, but he's definitely one of those these players that play up to the competition. So when he plays these more challenging teams he he definitely comes to shine so he's definitely a player to watch i mean he's he has a lot of experience in big games and he would not, like nothing more than to score a couple goals against fc barcelona who's your man to watch well my man to watch is also a striker uh cedric bakambu uh he's their top scorer at the moment he has 14 goals in all competitions so far this season uh i from what i can tell he's not an especially creative um, attacker or center forward but if Villarreal get forward and if they get some guys in the box he can definitely put it away uh, if you can just get him the ball you know he'll find himself in a good position but I think every highlight I saw of him scoring had maybe four or five guys in the box and he was just one of them so he's not going to be uh, the one you want to count on if he's the only guy up there but if you can get men forward and uh, put some pressure on get some guys in the box he can put it away yeah i mean it's going to be a tough match especially you know the crowd of villarreal are going to be up for it villarreal is right in the thick of it they're not too far behind you know the main spots for next year's uh european qualification so again these games are important again that stadium is really small like we, we highlighted before so we'll see how barca come out in their formation and tactics Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson. The music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means, that's right, folks, this is a two-man show. 
Be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit us at barsatalk.net to find your preferred method of contact. And if you want to support the show, click on the support button in the show notes for this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barsa Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barsa Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barsa. Visca Barsa. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.